Did a did a great job. Did a great job. Thank you. Millard and uh, Diane are traveling in North Georgia, enjoying the beauty and uh, well-deserved vacation break from work. And what is that? Yes. So uh, we look forward to having them back with us next week. I want to say that um, this sermon series um, from First Peter has really ministered to me at a time in my life when I needed it. Uh, God's Word is that way, just seems to minister right to us where we are at the time that we need it. So I'm trusting that God is going to speak to our hearts today through his word, that he will lift us up and encourage us, give us the strength and the courage that we need to follow him. This sermon series has been about all of us, because all of us go through difficult times. We go through hardship and heartbreak and disappointments and setbacks and crushing decisions, things that just hit us so hard we don't know if we'll be able to recover from it. We've learned that God uses hardships and difficulties and even painful trials to deepen our faith and our relationship with Him. He actually gives us His grace to endure the trials. Grace is not God winking at you and saying, just go ahead and sin, it'll be okay. That is not grace. Grace, by definition, is the power and desire to do God's will. So if you have a desire to do the will of God, that is evidence of grace in your life. When you humble yourself before the Lord, recognizing your need to depend on Him, that's when the power of God is released. When you put the desire and the power together, you see amazing grace manifested in your life. We're told in the Scriptures that God is the God of all grace. If we get grace in our lives, it comes from the God of all grace. So today, we're going to be talking about this very thing, the God of all grace, the God who meets us at our point of need when crushing defeats, hardships, and difficulties in our lives. I want to welcome the people who joined us by way of the Internet We're so thankful that you're following along with us. Please download that listening guide. It's the same one we use right here in the worship center at Eastside Baptist Church. We pray that you'll be able to study right along with us. I'm reading from 1 Peter chapter 5, just verses 5 through 11. And here's what Peter wrote to his readers in the first century. Here's what he said. 
Likewise, you younger people. Likewise, you younger people. <laughs> what does it say? Submit yourselves to your elders. In other words, part of honoring God and following Jesus is to be obedient to your parents. So do not tell me that you're following Jesus and then dishonor and disobey your parents. The two are inconsistent. Make sense? Right here in the scriptures. So you young people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive. Oh, I see. So it doesn't just apply to young people. It applies to all of us. So you wives are supposed to submit to your husbands. And you husbands are supposed to submit to your wives. My word. Seems like a lot of fleshly responses going on around here today. Okay. Well, it's right here in the Bible, isn't it? So the word submit is a word that we don't really like to use, but here is the way it's interpreted in Scripture. Do everything in your power to make the other person a success. So it is my job to make my children a success. It is their job to make me a success. It is my job to make my wife a success. It's her job to make me a success. It is our job to make Jesus a success. We do that by submitting to him. All right. So, he says in verse 5, All of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. We're going to talk about that for a few minutes today. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Pride is not good. Humility is good. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. All about our relationship with the Lord. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Listen, whatever you're going through, somebody else has already been through it. There are no unique sufferings in this world. Everybody goes through something. So whatever you're facing, somebody else has already gone through it. And probably worse. But may, may the God, listen to this, but may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion 
forever and ever. Amen. In the first four chapters of this letter, Peter's been talking about trials and hardships that believers would face. And in this chapter, he urges his readers to cling to, rely on, the God of all grace. God is just and holy, and he does judge sin, and he disciplines his children. He's also the God of all grace. Nobody knew this better than the Apostle Peter. He had a history of messing up. I just want to remind you of a couple of things. Think about how many times Peter messed up. Ready? There was a time when Jesus came to the disciples. They were in a boat. He was walking on the water. Peter said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Jesus said, it's me, come, come on. And he steps out of the boat, takes a couple of steps on the water, and then sinks like a rock. He blew it. His faith was not strong. So let's just throw him overboard and forget about him because he's not going to be of any use to anybody, right? Is that what happened? Did Jesus give up? Of course he didn't. First of all, he reached out and rescued Peter, pulled him right up out of the water. And then, later in in Peter's life, he blew it again. Let me remind you about Peter. He protested Jesus' prediction of his death. Jesus said, look, I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die there. I'm going to die. And Peter said, no, 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 you're not going to die. Quit talking like that, Jesus. You're the Messiah. You can't die. Jesus said to him, you remember what he said to him? Get thee behind me, Satan. For you are not thinking the way God thinks. You're thinking the way man thinks. Peter blew it again. Oh, well, did God give up on Peter? No, he didn't. Now, we would. we just kind of throw him to the curb and say, hey, we're done with you. You've just messed up one too many times. Aren't you glad God didn't kick you to the curb? We're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas betrays Jesus. The Roman soldiers are around about to arrest arrest Jesus. Peter draws his sword and tries to split the head open. He missed and caught this guy's ear and cut it off. Jesus looks right at him and says, Peter, you impulsive. Aren't you ever going to learn? He that lives by the sword is going to die by the sword. This is not my way. I don't get even with people. Then he picks up the guy's ear and sticks it back on and heals it. He gave up on Peter, right? Kicked him to the curb. I mean, come on. Three strikes and you're out, right? 
but he blows it again. Jesus is arrested. He's put on trial. Peter stands by the fire to warm himself. Somebody says, hey, aren't you one of his followers? Hey, who, me? I don't even know the guy. I'm sure. you. I mean, you've got that Galilean accent. I, I know you're from Polk County. You, you've got to be one of those who's following Jesus. Not me. You are, you are mistaken. Then the person says, I am absolutely certain that I have seen you with him. And Peter curses and says, no, I don't know him. Kick him to the curb, right? He's denied Jesus. we got to give up on him. He's no good. It's never going to work. Is that what happened? No. And let me just tell you why. The grace of God was upon Peter. Peter humbled himself before the Lord. The grace of God came upon him, and God used Peter as the primary spokesperson for the early church. First time Peter preached, the first time he preached, 3,000 people came to Christ. That's a guy who blew it over and over and over again and denied Jesus three times. Now listen, if God can do that in the life of Peter, he can do it in your life too. Don't give up. Because God may have something very special planned for you. In fact, can I tell you, according to the Scriptures, He does have something very special in mind for you. So Peter knew all about this God of all grace. And he wrote about it in this letter, and he wants us to understand that in spite of failures, many failures in Peter's life, God continues to work. And he used Peter in amazing ways. And that is grace. Peter sure didn't deserve to be used by God, but he was. God's grace is unearned, unmerited, undeserved favor. It's His power at work in our lives to help us endure, to help us overcome, to help us grow in our faith, to help us mature in our character. It's His grace in our lives that keeps us pursuing a relationship with Christ when everything in us wants to give up. That's grace. Let's take a look today at four obstacles of grace in this text. The first we find in verse 5. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submission is a fundamental attitude of spiritual maturity. 
If somebody doesn't want to submit to the authority of the pastor, they have a, a spiritual maturity problem. Somebody who doesn't want to submit to the local authorities, they have a spiritual maturity problem because one of the characteristics of spiritual maturity is they're humble enough to submit to local authorities, to all authorities, because every authority in this universe is established by God. And by submitting to local authorities, we are in essence saying, God, I submitted to you and I trust you to work out your plan regardless of what local authorities are doing. Jesus modeled this for us when he paid taxes to the very government that was going to nail him to a cross. He modeled that behavior. And we're to do the same thing. But you see, most of us in this culture are not about submission and humility. We're about demanding our rights. Hey, I want to know what's in it for me. That's the nature of the culture. That's the nature of the flesh. That's the nature of what the devil wants you to do. What's in it for me? And if I don't get something out of it, then I'm not going to participate. That's the attitude that the devil wants for you. God says, I want you to be humble. I want you to recognize that I'm at work in you and all around you, and I can use anything to accomplish my purposes in your life. And I want you to be humble enough to recognize that and submit to my authority in your life. Humility. Peter says, I want you to be clothed with humility. The interesting word in the original language means to tie it on. Put, it, put a knot in it. Tie it on tightly and keep it on you. An attitude of humility so that when the flesh rises up, and it's going to rise up, you automatically say, oh, wait a minute, I've got my cloak of humility on here. I want to submit to God and I want to handle this the right way. Pressure from trials, difficulties, hardships, and heartaches, pressure will always bring out in you what is inside. And you're either going to spew out bitterness and anger and frustration and lack of faith, or you're going to spew out truth and grace and humility and trust in the Lord. Sometimes God will allow the pressures and difficulties and heartaches to press upon us just so we can be seeing what's coming out. Revealing our true spiritual condition. Notice the phrase, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Our pride causes us to demand our own way. To demand answers. To demand rights. Oh, our culture is flooded with this. Friend, you can be offended by anything. You know what being offended is? It's your pride showing up. Well, let me just tell you this. I'm offended that you're offended. How ridiculous. How ridiculous that we should get defended about so many silly things. But the reason we get offended is because our pride is right here all the time. We're right there. And oh, I'm so touchy about every little thing. That's pride, friend. 
Now, if your pride is in control of your life, you'll get offended. If Christ is in control of your life, you will not be offended. You'll be loving and compassionate. You'll see people for who they are. People created in the image of God, deserving of honor and respect regardless. Not on the basis of how they behave, on the basis of the fact that they have inherent value as people created in the image of God. Every last one of them. When we start treating each other with respect, which, by the way, only comes through humility, when we start treating each other with respect, we'll find greater unity and healing and power and grace. Humility. Peter says, tie it on. Our pride is selfish. Humility is selfless. Humility always seeks the best for the other person. Pride blocks God's grace. Humility releases God's grace. You want grace today? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Peter urges us to be clothed in humility. Pride is the enemy of spiritual growth. Humility is its ally. I want to say something to you. I want you to just listen carefully. Pride will divide us. Humility always brings us together. Now you can write that down. That's tweetable. Listen, pride will divide us. Our pride gets in the way of our unity. Pride divides us. Anytime somebody's demanding their own way, it divides people. But humility brings us together. Humility brings healing and unity and oneness. Humility is the ally of spiritual growth. It is the ally of the grace of God. It is the ally of the purposes of God. It is the ally of the will of God. Humility. Everybody okay? Peter says, listen, God resists the proud. In other words, when I act out of pride, I am acting in cross-purposes with God. I actually make God my enemy. He resists the proud. You'll find yourself fighting against God Himself. But God does what? For the humble. He gives grace. Anybody need grace here today? Amen? The one thing that is required to receive the grace of God is humility. That is, our expressed dependence upon the Lord. Lord, I need your grace. 
I need your power. I need you working in me. I need your health. I need you, Lord. And when you get to that place where you're ready to surrender to Him and turn your life over to Him, that's the place at which the grace of God is poured out. And He'll give you not only the desire to do His will, but the power to carry it out. He's a great God. Self-centered pride will hinder God's grace. Number two, resisting God's purposes will hinder God's grace. We find that in verse 6. Chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. Notice that Peter again urges us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. That phrase speaks of the power of God at work in the lives of His people to accomplish His sovereign purposes. Peter is saying to his readers that they are not to resist God's purposes. Whatever you are going through today, whatever we are going through today, lean into it. Surrender your will to God. And say, God, you're fully in control of this. I don't understand what's happening in my life, but I receive this from your hand, and I want it to accomplish all the purposes you have in my life. I don't want to miss one thing you're trying to teach me. So God, work in my life. Don't lift this pain from me until I have learned everything you intend in my life. That, friends, is submission to the will of God. And the reason we do not see more power in the church and more power in our personal lives is because we've never surrendered our will to His will. It's always been about what I want. Is everybody okay? You know what? Let me just say this. It doesn't matter what you want. What matters is what God wants. You say, well, I don't want to do that. Can I just say this? It doesn't matter what you want. I don't want to do this. It doesn't matter what you want. What matters is what God wants. He always does the right thing. He always does the right thing at the right time. He always does what is best. He is a good God. And you can trust Him. Too late. I'm just looking at you. Because I know some of you are hurting, struggling. And I love you and I don't want to see you hurt. Here's what I know. You'll surrender to the Lord and lean into it. And say, God, you're in control You're the Almighty God. You love me and you have purposes for me. And I'm surrendering to this. I'm allowing this pain in my life. I'm going to receive it as from your hand. Because, friend, if you're a child of God, everything that touches your life came to you through Him. 
You say, I don't like it. You don't have to like it. You just have to honor God. Surrendering to His purposes. Peter says there's a purpose behind these things that you're going through. Don't resist God's purposes. Resisting God's purposes will only hinder His grace in your life. Stop questioning God and start trusting God. Boy, that's tweetable. You should write that down. I have a uh, a letter that I received from my mom when she was in Tanzania, Africa, at 70 years of age, serving the Lord. What's your excuse? What my mom wrote to me. I must tell you, I had a really hard time when we first came here dealing with my attitude about this place. Now you have to understand, my mom was pristine. Boy, she got her hair done every week. She dressed to the nines. She had a clean, immaculate way of living. And God dropped her in the dirtiest place on the planet. He has a way of doing that to us, doesn't he? My word. But listen to this. She said, I carried such a load of guilt. I thought that because we were here at God's calling, I should automatically love it. I should feel happy and secure, but I didn't feel that way. And thus I felt guilty and I wondered what was wrong. And I finally had to go before the Lord in utter brokenness and say, Why, Lord? You must relieve my heart. Immediately, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, You don't have to like it. You just have to be obedient. I wish husbands and wives had learned that lesson. Amen. And with that revelation, my heart was eased and the burden fell away. And after that, I felt content. The surroundings hadn't changed. We still have power failure and sometimes no water pressure and things are still dirty and sometimes I still collapse in utter frustration and tears. But the Holy Spirit's message comes back to me and I get things back in their proper perspective and it's great. And it's really amazing how God works. When I'm upset or discouraged, your dad is up and gives me courage. And when he's down and tired of making do, then I'm strong and able to support him. And we end up praising God for our difficulties because we know who's in charge and whose we are. Now she's looking in the face of the one that she served faithfully. Well, I'm telling you, you don't have to like what God's doing in your life. You just have to be obedient. Don't resist His purposes. Lean into the pain. Stop questioning God. Start trusting God. Number three, refusing to release our burdens will hinder God's grace. Listen to chapter 5 and verse 7 again. Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. 
casting all your care on Him. For He cares for you. Followers of Jesus are to cast all of our discontent, all of our discouragement, all of our despair, all of our hardships on the Lord. We're to cast it on the Lord. Trying to work it out in our own strength is only going to lead to frustration and exhaustion. God's grace will strengthen us and renew us, refresh us and establish us. And refusing to release our burdens will hinder His grace in our lives. The word cast is an interesting word in the original language. It's a word picture where it was used to uh, describe the casting of a blanket on the back of a donkey. So that's what we're supposed to do with our burdens. Only we don't cast it on a donkey. We cast it on the Lord. We take that burden, that struggle, that heartache, we place it, place it on the Lord. Now here's what we do. What we do. All right, you ready? Let's say that this is my burden right here. Here's what we do. I'm going to cast it on the Lord, right? 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 Isn't that what we do? We we put it there and then take it right back. We put it there and then take it right back. We cast our burden over there, but we still have our hands on it and we take it right back. Cast your burden on the Lord. Let go of it and put it on the Lord. Why do, why do we do that? Because He cares for us. For me to hang on to the burden, for me to hang on to it, means that I don't trust God with my burden. I still want to work it out my way, in my strength, in my time. When I finally get to the place where I'm ready just to lay it down and say, God, whatever happens, I am going to trust you. I can put it in His hands and release it. Doesn't mean you're not going to walk over ten days later and pick it up again. You might feel real comfortable doing that. But I assure you, the verse doesn't change. The verse is true, no matter what you're going through. Casting all your anxieties on the Lord. For He cares for you. One of the reasons we struggle and one of the reasons we don't get God's grace in our lives is we just don't really believe that He cares about what's going on in our lives. He does, my friend, according to Scripture. He does. He cares more than you know. We're to throw our burdens on the Lord and receive His grace. Number four. Our spiritual enemy will hinder God's grace. Peter says, be on the alert. He wants us to know we have a spiritual enemy, the devil. Yes, he's real. He and his demons are about trying to sidetrack you. 
The enemy wants you to doubt God's love and care. You see, the enemy would say, okay, that pain that you're going through, that heartache, that disappointment, that hardship, that crushing blow to your hope, all of that stuff is because God doesn't love you. All of that stuff is because God's not really in control. All of that stuff that's happening to you, it's just God not caring about you. That is the devil, friend. And if you've heard him say that, you need to recognize it and say, hey, that's a lie from the pit of hell. What does it say? You have a spiritual enemy who's roaming about looking for somebody he might devour. And he always attacks us when we're weak. When we're run down, when we're exhausted, when we're discouraged, he comes and he lies to us. He says, it's not worth it. Why don't you give up? Why don't you just quit? Don't trust God. Don't lean into it. The old devil wants you to become bitter. He wants you to take all that hurt and internalize it. And say, I am so angry and I'm going to get even with somebody and nobody's ever going to hurt me again and this is the way I'm going to live and I'm just going to... And boy, how's that working for you? That's the devil's plan. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your witness. He wants to knock you off God's plan. Peter says, look, you need to be aware that there's a spiritual enemy and that he's at work. The enemy drives you to act in your own strength. The enemy lies to you and about you. The enemy wants to discourage you, divide us, and defeat us. He is an active enemy. But thank God I have a Savior who defeated that enemy. His name is Jesus. If we allow the enemy, he'll rob us of God's grace. He'll steal our joy. He'll kill our faith. And he will defeat our witness. If we allow him. He's going to pile that heartache on top of you and say, you're never going to get over this. And God's saying, oh, if you'll just trust me, I'll use this to transform you under my hand of grace and you'll be greater than you ever were in my kingdom. You'll be useful to me. I'll use you. I'll transform you. I'll give you all that your heart hopes for if you'll trust me. He can do that, can't he? You're willing to trust him. He's a great God. Peter says, resist the enemy. How am I to resist him? By praying by trusting God, by remaining steadfast in our faith, by knowing that God is fully in control and I really can surrender to Him. Peter concludes this passage by reminding us that the God of all grace is going to use suffering and hardship and pain and tragedy to make us strong, to grow our faith, to deepen our fellowship with Christ. He wants to do that in all of our lives. And He uses painful things to accomplish 
his will. It really goes against our thinking, doesn't it? We think, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm following Christ. Everything in my life is going to be going good. Everybody's going to be nice to me. Everything's just going to work out perfectly. I'll never get sick. I'll never have heartache. I'll never have an accident. I'll never have any problems because God loves me and everything is going to be wonderful. And if you believe that, you really haven't read your Bible. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. The word means crushing. You will have crushing disappointments. You will have crushing circumstances. You will have crushing heartaches and hardships. It will crush you. But right there in the midst of that crushing, there's a Savior who says, I'm here. I'm with you. I'm going to use this in your life. I'll transform you under my grace. If you're willing. What's your next step? Some of you may be here today. You've never really committed your life to Jesus Christ. I am not talking about joining a church. I'm talking about joining Jesus. You can join every church in America and die and go to hell. Not about a religion, it's about a relationship. It's about trusting Jesus Christ. ABC. A. Admit that you're a sinner. Lord, I am a sinner. I know that I'm selfish. I have messed up. I need your forgiveness. I need you in my life. Admit that you're a sinner. Nobody comes to Jesus without that first. Admit that you're a sinner. Second, believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. B, believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins on the cross. That he paid the price with his own precious blood. That he shed his blood for you as payment for your sins. Believe that he died on the cross for you and that he rose the third day victorious over sin, death, and hell. Believe that. And then see, commit your life to him. This is not an intellectual understanding. You can know all the facts about the gospel and not be saved. This is not about what you know. This is about your heart commitment to the Lord Jesus. It's about turning your life over to Him. And the faith to do that comes from Him. For by grace, you are saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. So if you want to be saved, you can be today. A. B, C. It's that simple. Maybe your next step is to recommit your life to the Lord. I think that's something we should do regularly. Commit ourselves to Him. Maybe you recognize things haven't been exactly the way they should be. You've been kind of walking through things without relying on the Lord. You've been acting in your own strength. Kind of putting things on the back burner. Your prayer life stinks. Your Bible reading, not existent. You haven't been seeking the Lord. Oh, listen, He's still there. He saved you. But you haven't been seeking the Lord. You haven't been putting Him first in your life. And so, 
When you're with the church crowd, you act like the church crowd. And when you're with the world, you act like them. That's an evidence, friend, that you need to recommit your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe this is your step. You need to publicly be baptized. Read through the New Testament. Every time a person got saved, first thing they want to do is be publicly baptized. To identify with Jesus Christ. To say to everybody here, I am not ashamed to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want you to know He's my Savior and I intend to follow Him all the days of my life. And I'm being publicly baptized to declare my allegiance to Jesus Christ. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe you're like me. You need this next step. Cast your burdens on the Lord. Receive His all-sufficient grace. If you've got a burden today, you can take it to the Lord. Cast it upon Him. Know that He's in control. Know that He has purposes for you and me. Know that He has victory for you and me. Know that He'll work in your life. Know that He will transform you by His grace. Know those things. But you must cast that burden on the Lord. God didn't design you to carry it. Cast your burden on the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Let's pray. As we pray, I want to ask, is there anybody here that today needs to commit your life to Jesus Christ? You've never done that before. But today's your day. You need to stand and say, I need Jesus. I need His grace. I need His forgiveness. I need to be saved. If that's you, would you stand right where you are? Never intend to embarrass you or anything like that. But if that is you, if God speaking to your heart, nobody's looking around. This is just between you and God. Would you just stand to your feet right now if that's you? Some of you may need to make that recommitment to the Lord. You'd like to reaffirm your desire to follow the Lord Jesus. That's your next step today. Is there anybody here that wants to make that step? And you just want to stand right now and declare that. Nobody's looking around. It's just between you and the Lord. Amen. Would you remain standing for just a moment? Anybody else? Amen. Anybody else need to make that new commitment to the Lord today? Amen. Amen. We're going to wait just a moment longer. Anybody else? Just remain standing for a second. Anybody else need to make that recommitment to the Lord today? Amen. Thank you. And I'll tell you how encouraging it is for me to see young people making those decisions. Publicly standing and saying, hey, I need to recommit my life to the Lord Jesus. It encourages my heart. I want to ask you to join me in praying for these who are standing. All right? Would you join me right now?
Father, you know not only see who's standing, you see our hearts. You know exactly what's going on in our lives and how much we really need you. I pray that you'll honor every heartfelt commitment here today. I pray that you'll bless these who have said, I need to recommit my life to the Lord Jesus. Bless them and encourage them in their walk with you. Draw them to yourself. May they experience your grace in new and amazing ways. Lift them up, Father. Care for them the way only you can. Surround them with your protection. Guide them by your Spirit. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you all. You can be seated. I wonder if there's anybody here that needs to follow the Lord and believers in baptism while we're still in an attitude of prayer. Is anybody here that needs to do that? You need to be baptized and you know it publicly. I'll give you a moment. You can stand. We'll talk to you about what it means to follow the Lord and believe this baptism. Okay? How many of you would say, I need to cast my burdens on the Lord? All right? Yeah, just raise your hand. Yeah. If that's you, if that's you, just raise your hand. Yeah. Amen. 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 Well, let's do that together in prayer right now. Lord, I want to thank you for your care. You care for us like nobody else can. You love us with an unfailing love. Today, we just want to cast our burdens upon you. Some days our hearts are heavy and the pressure becomes so great, we just don't know if we can do it. We thank you that we can take our burdens our heartaches, our disappointments, hardships we face, lay them on you like a blanket, casting our burdens at your feet, knowing that you'll care for us, guide us, protect us, provide for our needs, pour out your grace in our hearts. We want so much to bring you honor We recognize our weakness and your great power. So we commit ourselves to you. We cast our burdens on the Lord. Sustain us now by your grace, we pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.